uh, more verse by verse and talk through some of this. Um, I encourage you to read through chapters 8 and 9 again. As far as what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to look at uh, chapter 8, trying to get at least the the first half of that taken care of. Uh, But before we get started with our study, I've asked Gary to lead us in a word of prayer. Let's bow. Our precious and merciful Father who art in heaven above, we cannot see thee, but we know that you're there through your beautiful creation and through your word. We're ever so thankful, Father, that you've made yourself accessible to us. You've given us your word that we may know you, know your ways, and know where we've come from, who we are, what we need to be about, and where, where we're going when our time on this earth is done, Father. As we study your word this morning, we pray that you'll help us to be good and faithful hearers, that we will meditate on the things that we learn today, and more importantly, we pray that you'll help us always when we are not in harmony with your word, that you will help us to humble ourselves and to make ourselves right and to be one with you as your son always strove to do and showed us how to do while he was here on this earth. Help us to remember, dear Father, that it's not just about us. Help us to think outward, to extend ourselves beyond our comfort zones and to talk to others that are searching. Help us to remember that as Christians, you put people in front of us for a purpose. Help us to recognize when someone is hurting or in need and help us to reach out to them and give them the good news, dear Father. This is our our hope and our prayer in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We talked a little bit about the context of what's going on here. Uh, There was a need among the... uh, Jewish Christians in the Judean area. Um, and so Paul um, encourages these, uh, these Christians in Corinth, as well as different areas, to participate in this relief effort. Uh, to, and it's meant to take months and months of preparation and gathering so that one, one uh, deliverance of, of this support could be made. And yet, from the looks of it, there's, there's been some kind of halt on that work. Something has delayed it. They, they've sort of backed out of that. And, and Paul is encouraging them to, to pick it back up, to, to renew, rekindle uh, their, their eagerness and willingness to participate uh, in this collection. Uh, And so he spends chapters 8 and 9 talking about it, but let's just go ahead and read uh, read chapter 8, if I could have somebody read for us. Okay, thank you, Craig. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it, out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. <clears throat> for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that... But he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. So as we look at um, this section, um, Paul starts off in verse 1 um, telling the Corinthians how their eagerness to start this project had an impact on other people. Uh, specifically, he mentions uh, the churches of Macedonia. I'm not good at church geography, of, of Bible geography, and, no, and uh, where everything's located. But if you, if you look at 
those churches, as you might see in the book of Acts, for example, there are what I found three main uh, places where believers are known to, uh, to be there and certain events that took place. Uh, first off, uh, Philippi. What do we know what happened in Philippi? Okay, we have the Philippian jailer, okay? We have Lydia, and if you look at those stories, Lydia is a very hospitable woman, one, one known to be generous. We talked a little bit um, about the idea of generosity in our last class. And, and then even, even the jailer himself, um, as, as an act of repentance of sorts, how he, how he treats uh, Paul and Silas uh, there. Um, we, we see Thessalonica as another one of uh, one of the cities in Macedonia, and that's where there was some, uh, a little bit of heat rising there with Jason being dragged out of his home and being stoned, and yet they, they, were, they were zealous. They were eager, um, growing in the faith there. And thirdly, we see Berea uh, as, as a place where they were eager with the gospel in that they were searching the scriptures. And so you see that these, this region, which historically was, was um, extremely impoverished, uh, they, that region went through several wars and a lot of taxation at the time, um, yet they were eager to live out the gospel. You see, you see that that did not hold them back, and yet that they... Um, they excelled in, in the gospel. And so it says in verse 2, in a great trial of affliction, we've talked about affliction in this book already. Think back of chapter, chapter 1. Uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liber liberality. This word poverty right here means really bad off financially, very poor, and yet it adds deep poverty, extreme poverty. And yet you see what, what is lived out, abundance of joy, riches of their liberality. What, what else do you see in the heart of the Macedonians here in this section? Yeah, Tony. More, more than just giving of their means, but that they wanted to go above and beyond that, that they were begging to. Um, you, like, begging works the opposite way, doesn't it? Begging for something from someone. Like, if you were in poverty, you would be begging for them for, for their wealth. 
And in fact, they're begging to give of their poverty, from their poverty, to something. And that it's not just that from compulsion, we talked about that last week, but that um, it was first from God that they they realized the their own state and their own spiritual poverty that they wanted to give to people that um, that they had received riches from. And I think that's kind of why Paul is compelling the Corinthians here too, that they have received an abundance of spiritual wealth from the group that started in Jerusalem and that it's kind of like, well, you kind of owe them a little bit because of the greater wealth that they gave you and now they're just needing some, well, I guess more a minor thing on your part. And so just that these Bereans were just, their great desire to do that is just uh, astronomical. And that's why he's compelling them. Like, you, you're not in that situation. How much more would, should you be free to do this? That's a good point, that idea of that they were, that they were begging to participate, to, to take part in this fellowship of this grace um, as, it, as it's described there. And so uh, whenever it talks about their, their abundance and their, their richness, it's not talking about dollars and cents. It's talking about uh, the work of God that they are participating in. Um, whenever you look at Romans chapter 12 and the various gifts that each one is given by, by the grace of God. It says the one who is, who is giving, that if that is their gift, it's not about them being lucrative. It's about them giving with liberality and them, them desiring to do that. Yes, Josh. And verse 3 also describes it as a sacrifice because they, they gave according to what they could give, but then some of them also gave beyond what they could give. So in today's analogy, on one hand, I could dip into my emergency fund and give out of that, or I could give beyond that lump sum and sacrifice something that I would have and by my normal means and give it to them. That, that's a good point. Um, I believe Tony and Katrina have made this comment in a previous class before, but the, the idea goes of, you might have heard the expression, a, a, a sacrifice is giving until it hurts, but really thinking of it as giving until it doesn't hurt. That, that becomes second nature to you, that, that you're not thinking about, ooh, this really hurts, but rather, I want to give. This, it's just in my nature to be doing that. Before we get further down in this, I, I think it's worthwhile to just stop and think, the heart of Jesus as we acted out is, is, that, is one of generosity, but not just our bank accounts. Uh, um, at the homeschool convention, Heather and I went to the, uh, a month or so ago. There, there was one place there that talked about how to be generous with, um, with our money, with our time, with our belongings. Being generous with our thoughts, thinking the best of other people, um, being generous with our words and not, and not being selfish uh, with our words, our attention, our influence, just in everything, 
being generous. And, and, and we can recognize that each person may have their strengths as far as some people may be able to, be, uh, to, to give more financially or some people may be able to give more of their, of their time. But we're not necessarily called to say, you know what? I don't really want to be generous with my time, so maybe if I'm just extra generous with my money, that, that'll make up for it. Or, you know what? I don't really want to give up my money. I want to keep it for myself, so you know what? I'll just, I'll just be more generous with my, with my time, with my words, with my thoughts. No, we're called to be generous with everything. And, and, so, and so thinking as we go through this, yes, in the context we're, we're, we're talking primarily on a, on a financial level, but, but thinking of the generosity that we're called to have in, in everything. Yeah, Nina. What really strikes me about this is in verse 2 where he says the, that in a great testing of affliction, their abundance of joy. So while they were being afflicted, they were so joyful. And it reminds me of when we were little, my mom kept us so focused on God and his love and how his protection for us that we were so happy and joyful in him that we didn't even realize we were poor. And so that's, that's kind of the scene that I see here. They're so joyful, the affliction, they're having afflictions, but their abundance of joy is spurring them on to be Christ-like. Absolutely, so sort of, and we've, we talked about this even back in chapter five of the kind of mindset that we should have on a, on a spiritual level, not thinking of, of this existence according to the flesh, but looking, looking at the spiritual eternal reality. Um, and one thing that we're going to see a little bit later is that Jesus personifies all of this. He, he personifies generosity in the midst of poverty. He, he personifies joy in the midst of affliction. That, that, that he, um, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Um, interesting, what's something that stood out to me, I don't know necessarily what to make of this if we look at um, in verse 5. And not as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. I used to think, um, just breaking it down um, language-wise and parts of speech-wise, that um, they gave themselves first. What did they give first? Themselves to whom? To God. And then I just assumed then they gave money to us by the will of God. It doesn't say that they gave uh, money or financially. They gave themselves. Essentially, is, is perhaps how I, I would read that, that they are giving themselves um, in this. A, a big problem that Paul is that Paul is concerned about here with the Corinthian church 
And we can see this outlined throughout, throughout the book of 2 Corinthians so far. Um, the Corinthians hadn't given themselves fully to God. And so what we saw how that was manifested in chapter 6 was that they didn't open themselves up to Paul. They hadn't... Uh, joined in him in, in the ministry, and then you see another manifestation of that in that they're not participating in that. It's not just, hey, let's, let's get this thing started up. If you look at the root of it, they, they are drifting away from, from Paul, no longer um, opening themselves up to him, but also they're not participating in the work of God. And so, uh, again, if you have any questions or thoughts, feel free to raise your hand if I don't, if I don't see you uh, in this. And so in, in verse 6, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. We talked about in our last class that this is also a major theme in this section, the idea of completing what we've started. The project that they had, had started, they, they had abandoned, essentially. And he's telling, he urges Titus, hey, we've started this, or you've started this, Titus, see that you bring it to completion. And so this idea um, in verse 7, you abound in everything. And we saw that idea back in chapter 6, verse 10, that as having nothing yet possessing all things. Just as you abound in everything and are growing in everything, and he lists knowledge, faith, speech, all diligence and love, uh, your love for us or our love for you, um, that you abound in this as well. Um, one thing that, that sort of stood out to me, one comment, um, I'll just go ahead and open it up. I had some more thoughts before I made that point. What else stands out to you in what, in what Paul is calling them to do? The, the attitude that Paul has, um, he's, he's calling them to, to rekindle this and make sure that they abound in this project. That it's not just uh, doing it because they have to, but because they want to uh, do this. Having that changed heart that we mentioned in our last class. Uh, in verse 8, he says, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Uh, it's important to see in there, in verse 8, the sincerity of your love. It's not just I'm testing your love, but rather the sincerity of your love. That idea of... Um, Worldly love is often insincere, is, is often self-seeking. 
Uh, we talked about what that love uh, looks like in 1 Corinthians 13. But, but true love is sincere. Jesse and then Tony. Yeah, I, I kind of found verse 8 a little interesting because he, he talks about them to, you know, as you excel, make sure that you excel in the act of kindness as well. Because, or, you know, I'm testing the genuineness of your love by comparison with the eagerness of others. I found that to be an interesting statement. Is what is he doing there? Is, is he using this as motivation for them to, or is he genuinely kind of, is this a litmus test for their genuine nature because he's looking at the way that other people are behaving in this kind of thing. So I was just a little curious about that. Maybe, maybe Tony has something to say about that or, uh, as well, but I just thought that was an interesting way to, to put this test was by, you know, comparing it against the eagerness of others. That, that's a good point. I had some thoughts on that, but I'll, I think Tony will cover it all. Actually, I had uh, unrelated thoughts about that. And then actually, the next verse I, I was thinking more of, of just the, the example given through Christ. Um, it's interesting, though, that the passage that probably expresses this, I feel like, the best is from a passage written to some Macedonians in Philippi. Then Philippians chapter 2, he talks about having the same mind of Christ who emptied himself of his wealth of heaven, his wealth and his power and station as God and king of all universe to be impoverished on this earth, to be one of us, and to feel the pains that we feel, and for all of his vain, or his relinquishing, not, not that it was taken from him, but he relinquished it, for our sake. He's calling these Corinthians, just the Philippians probably heard that same message and thought the same thing about their poverty, that it wasn't anything in comparison to the, the poverty that the, the transfer of wealth from Christ to us, that anything that we could do is pales in comparison um, of just what Paul is asking the Corinthians to do here to remind them of those same things of if Christ was willing to do that for us what minor thing would we be willing to relinquish for someone else that's a good point um, so one thing that that somebody had pointed out that really stuck with me is um, Paul says, I'm testing the sincerity of your love. What's the point of a test? As a teacher, I can tell you the point of a test is not to bring grades down. Um, but, but rather, a, a test is proving, it's a proving with the expectation that there's going to be a positive outcome, that, that, that there's going to, that you're wanting the student to succeed, you're wanting them to, uh, to do, it's not necessarily a trap or a gotcha or a ha ha, I, I know that you didn't study or anything like that. It's, it's actually um, 
with that hopeful expectation of that. And then to, to Tony's point that he just made um, in verse 9, what's the answer key to that test? It's Jesus. Like that, that's, that's the model answer. Okay, if you, if you, want, to, if you want to pass that test, look, look at Jesus and imitate that. So was it just this past week or the week before we were watching a Bible project video and it was talking about testing and it gives like an example of like a doorway. So through one door, um, it's, it's the better things and through another doorway, it's the worst things. And so you have there in the garden, you have them being put to the test. Not that like, like, um, like that he wants them to fail, but actually it's in, the way he used it, it was an opportunity. And they continue to use that, that term throughout that. And I thought that was, it was so impactful for us because there's been a lot of things that have come up over the past couple of weeks that we've been like, instead of like seeing this as like, oh, this is, man, I, I didn't do it right. Like, this is an opportunity for me to continue to trust God. This is an opportunity for me to do what's right. This is an opportunity for me to change what I have been doing. And as opposed to going the path of the deceiver, the one who wants us to fail, who wants us to, uh, to succumb, the God, he's putting tests in front of us for an opportunity for us to prevail, to excel. He just told the Corinthians here to excel in these things, that it's actually a, this test is so that you can prove what God has been instilling in you is actually there and founded. Very good. Yeah, Lisa. That's what I was thinking too. A test is to see what is existing, what is there. Whether you're testing your soil or you're testing, you know, your your strength after rehab or we're testing our faith. And these Macedonians, uh, in their test of affliction, they had the gratitude to God first and foremost. Their faith was right there with the Lord and that's what overflowed and resulted in this giving of themselves in all these ways. And he talks about it in chapter 9. He says to the Corinthians, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And then he co the, the ministry of the service is not just supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And that's why regardless of your economic status, if your faith is truly in God, that results automatically in thanksgiving to him. Gratitude is what we also call it. And that means you don't even think about if it's going to hurt. You just give it. Very good. I like the way my version reads. It says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So I, I don't think it's a thinking of testing. I think Paul is saying, I'm proving that your sincerity towards others is just as strong as I've been boasting about you. It's just as strong as ours because you, you got this. You understand and proving that you're just as sincere in your walk with God as we as apostles are. That's a good point. I'm really glad I asked the question because test has always taken on a negative connotation in my mind, you know, that or testing. And it, 
it makes me think so, of James when it talks about going through various trials. And you know, we look forward to the benefit from going through those things, but even the impact of the test is one of what is there, you know, and cataloging. What, and I, I would also, for me personally, when I think of trials, I think there's a difference between trial and testing or proving. I think the testing is a portion of that trial. And so maybe, yeah, I don't like <laughs> going through tough times, but I do like the testing. I should like the testing because that's kind of an inventory of what your capabilities are and how to improve on that. So I, I appreciate the answers. And that, that's a good point. In Spanish, the, one of the words for test is also the word for proof. And so, uh, and, and the proof of the right kind of heart. We could say that. Yes. Uh, I was just reading where uh, the actual word there for test uh, is often used in reference to define how much of an ore is like pure silver or pure gold or, or pure copper. It's the testing. It's the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, uh, where, you know, that says the, uh, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And, and so uh, from a... a Finding out how much is in the metal uh, type of standpoint, uh, this is a uh, determination of how much love you actually have. Not the amount of giving, but the love that is behind that, I think, is what the, the emphasis will be here. That's very good. Whenever we, whenever we look at uh, what, this, what the point is making, I, I appreciate how he... Uh, transitions to what you know in verse 9 as we're going to look at uh, that, what that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ looks like. Katrina and Josh. Um, a, silver set, a silversmith uh, tests or refines the silver and he knows it's done when he sees his reflection. And so if we apply that, we are proven, we are refined, we are tested until we have a perfect reflection of our Father. And, and do, we, do we view our generosity in those terms? Or do we view our generosity, I, I have to be generous, that's just what I'm called to do, but um, ha having that heart. Yes, Josh. Yeah, this idea of testing and proving is sending my mind in a bunch of different directions. Like if if I'm a programmer and I'm writing a program, I don't just publish it, I test it to make sure that the program is working as it should. If I, if I manufacture a part, I send it through a battery of testing to make sure that it is doing what it is supposed to do. But at the same time, the benefit of this test I don't think is given to Paul. The benefit of being tested in this way is to the person being tested. Because they can, they can use their reaction to this direction to help gauge whether they're headed in the correct direction. Um, 
this this whole discussion of poverty and um, generosity. I, I think that's it's hard for me to wrap my head around. It's hard probably for a lot of people in this rich nation to wrap their heads around because we have a lot. And it's making me think, well, if if financial poverty, economic poverty is so good, should I really have all the stuff that I do? Right? There's a lot of stuff that I can do with my wealth. Um, but at the same time, wealth can get in the way of seeing our reliance on God just across the board for things. A very good point. It's, and it's so easy for us to stop being self-reflective and actually uh, do we take things for granted or do we, do we stop continually, not just once in a while, but continuously examining testing our, ourselves whether we're in the faith. I guess to sum it up for me, in verse 2, they were being tested by affliction, and in verse 9, they're being proven by the outcome. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that, I, that theme that we see. Go Tim and Lisa. I guess my question goes more towards the uh, reason for the test. I if I'm reading it right, and maybe this is uh, the question, is that in verse 1 he talks about the grace of God being bestowed on the Macedonians. And the, um, the grace, uh, is it that, is this, is this what's happening? Is God's grace being worked through the people, through the Macedonians, through Titus, through... Um, through the Corinthians, in this case, they're being tested. And, uh, and then the example of that is Christ's grace. Uh, so uh, is God giving the responsibility of carrying out his grace through the, the people? That's the question, I guess. That's, that's a good question. So, uh, hopefully I can rephrase that as to what, what is the purpose behind the test what is the, what's the expected outcome? Um, what, what is, what's God's purpose in working out his grace, not only among Macedonians, but also in Titus and the Corinthians? Uh, and, and we see that the glory of God the, continues to be multiplied um, in, uh, as he continues to bring that up. Go with Lisa and then... Well, um, it was making me think of the letters that John wrote to the churches in Revelation at Jesus' request. Um, Jesus told these churches individually that he knew what they were known for or what they thought of themselves, but he knew he had praise for them or he had things against them. He warned Smyrna that they would about, they were about to suffer and to hang true, to not give up. He was encouraging them. So not necessarily trials from him, but that he knew they would endure. I'm thinking of Job, um, that you know, God knew Job and his faithfulness and his righteousness, but he allowed Satan to afflict him greatly. Um, he, knew, he knew Job's faithfulness would come through, but it was a, it was a long journey. Um, I, I think it just scares us. It scares me 
why, why am I going through these things? You know, I, I read on Facebook all week of a little girl who was battling, and we all were praying around the whole country for her to, a little five-year-old girl, what she did, she passed away this week. And just her parents and the message that they're sending out about loss and faith in God, and no matter if things are difficult, we still have our faith in him that he knows and he provides and he loves us. And I'm, I'm, just not even really sure what my point is this is except that it happens and God knows it and he's here for us if we can just not give up on our belief in him that's what he's encouraging the Corinthians they must have held back for some reason over the last year for their giving of their gift we're not sure why he's already been there to visit them twice so he probably knows what's going on um, but he wants to encourage them to get back to trusting in God completely good point So um, when we talk about uh, God's grace and um, the proving, the testing, and you were talking about expected outcome, there is encouragement, which we've spoken about before, but there's encouragement um, to that individual um, and strengthening, which we've talked about too, in knowing where you are and understanding the growth that you've experienced, but the growth to come. And that comes through that understanding. And we've talked about our heart condition and how we strengthen others around us. Just as a teacher, to see that growth within the student, um, an expected outcome, but maybe they surpass what was the expect, expected outcome. Again, that is the strengthening that God provides in how we seek to do more and to do for others, but we don't recognize sometimes that while we're in our trial and our testing, that we may be encouraging others along with us in how that we react to that test and improving our love for God. Very good, thank you for that. The ultimate example is, the example we're supposed to follow is Jesus himself. It said he was tempted, or there the words tested. He was tested in every way and yet did not sin. And so if he was tested in every way, physical, spiritual, he was tested. Why would we think we didn't need to be? If, and so he, he was tested and proven. We have to be tested and proven. Good point. Yes. John. Um, if you don't mind, I might introduce what could possibly be a red herring here. But um, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 13, 12, where it's... Um, to him who already has more will be given to him who lacks it will be taken away um, I, I'm guessing the context is a little different there it's, it seems like maybe it's talking about the kingdom and r receiving the message of the kingdom you know those who have ears to hear let him hear but I also have heard that as an argument of like well hey if you're 
if you know how to make good money, then more is going to be given to you. And well, if you're not, that's your own fault. You know, <laughs> like I don't think that's what it's saying, but I could see how that could kind of interpret it that way. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll get into that perhaps more in chapter nine. I, the, the point of, um, ooh, if I'm generous, then I'll get more money. Now, I don't think is necessarily the, the point, but, but uh, the, the point both in Matthew as well as in 2 Corinthians is uh, those who are good, generous stewards are going to be given more opportunities to be uh, good, generous stewards of that. Yes, Katrina. Um, so when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we um, set everything we had down and we pick up what he gave us and so every dollar in my bank account is his because he gave it to me and the same thing for everybody else that has chosen to be his so I'm not given what I have I'm given what he's given me and he promises to take care of me so that alleviates the need for me to be concerned about it so what John was talking about in Matthew if he's given me an amount and I go and share it with everybody, why would he not give me more to go share it with more people? And if he gave me some and I just hold it for myself and I don't invest it in the things he's invested in, why would he give me more? He would take it so that somebody else can invest it. I mean, we do that all the time with, with financial investments. I think that's the same principle. When we realize that we're just tapping into the source it's easier to give, and it's more. It comes more abundantly. That's that's a, that's a good point uh, of of viewing that passage. I think. Um, let's look now at um, getting into verse nine. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for he's, your sakes he became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Um, looking at this in terms of um, Jesus, no one richer. And we're not talking about like he has street of gold in heaven, that kind of, that kind of richness, but rather being one with God, receiving the glory in heaven, um, free from flaws and difficulties. Going from that to being the epitome of poverty, uh, not just being low socioeconomically, um, but being separated from God, taking on flesh in its weakness. And we, we've already made allusions to Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, also Hebrews 4 and verse 15, how we have that high priest who sympathizes with us because he, uh, he came in weakness. Uh, and so... Um, Emphasis in verse 9, I, I see there in, um, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. The people who give, like the Macedonians, truly understand the grace of God. Truly understand uh, the heart with which um, one ought to give. Um, and yet, what we see in verse 10, in this I give advice, it is for your advantage not, in, not to be not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing uh, that, a red, uh, that there was a readiness 
to desire it so that there also may be a completion of what you have done. I want you to think of the story of Haggai and what happened after the return from captivity. There was a desire to reestablish the temple of God, and yet they backed out of it anywhere from 15 to 18 years. That project for the glory of God, they had backed out of, and, and God's people in Corinth are, are at risk of repeating the same mistake. And, and, um, and Haggai calls them to, to repent, to come back and, lo- and show their love, uh, love to God. Um, and so uh, he's, he's giving his advice uh, in verse 10. Um, he wants them to do the right thing. Of course, there is a right thing to do. And yet, and yet he's giving his advice is what he says in verse 8. It's not by commandment. He, there's the right thing to do, but twisting their arm to do it is not really going to get the right answer. It's not going to bear the fruit that God wants for them, that Paul is, is, is seeking in them. He wants them to do it, uh, do the right thing for the right reason. Um, we didn't quite get as far as I had hoped, um, and so I want us to, in our next class, finish chapter eight and get into chapter nine as well. So we may go at a little bit of a quick tick uh, in our next class, but just be ready, uh, ready to go uh, finish chapter eight and start getting into chapter nine. Thank you so much for your participation.